Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Hi, I'm your host, Jack McLean, and today my guest is Daryl Griffiths the founder and CEO of Code Nutrition and author of Sweat, Think, Go Faster. Highlights from this episode, we discussed how footballers can reduce the likelihood of cramping, practical tips to maximize your recovery during a game, how to work out your sweat rate and sodium concentration within your sweat, and why you shouldn't have lollies during a football game and what you should have instead. Before we start this episode, for those wanting to join our football high-performance program Make sure to head to our website, preparelikeapro.com, where you can sign up for free 14-day trial. This program has everything you need to ensure you're well-recovered and ready to attack the next game. Let's get into today's episode with Daryl Griffiths. Welcome, Daryl. Thanks for jumping on, mate. Jack, thanks for having me, mate. Let's uh, dive in the beginning of your career. At what age did you discover you had a passion for high-performance sport and, and fueling for high-performance sport? Well, um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't sport to start with. It was actually uh, firefighting um, as a firefighter. Um, very, very long story short, uh, I recognized that some firefighters handled heat better than others. And yep. in that sort of job, uh, you see things happen very quickly. The, the intense heat and having to wear uh, protective clothing, um, you, you see things happen even within half an hour. Um, uh, and, and what I did notice was there was a few individuals that, consistently handled the heat better than others and over time it was something that intrigued me and I went about um, finding out why and went to the experts the sports dietitians the exercise physiologists doctors and just saying look this is what I'm experiencing this is what I'm seeing and I'm really interested to find out why and I didn't really get an answer Um, so it, it was something that I um, took on myself and I started to research and long story short, uh, what I did find from my applied research with these firefighters was that, um, the ones that handled the heat better or tolerated hot conditions better, um, had a lower sweat rate. So the volume of sweat they lost was lower, but importantly, they had a much lower sodium concentration in their sweat. And, uh, you know, this took a few years of, of learning. And, and to be honest, I didn't really have any idea what I was looking for. So a lot of the stuff in the early days, I didn't even record because I didn't know what I was doing, really. So um, then you know, it, it struck me one day. I thought, well, if this is the case with these guys um, on the fire ground, then there's a pretty good chance that you know, athletes might have the same uh, natural uh, ability to handle heat better than others. And yeah, sure, sure enough, yeah, sure enough, doing the testing and started testing athletes and, and myself included. And, uh, yeah, went, went along from there. Fascinating. Yeah, I mean, that make, makes a lot of sense. Um, like you mentioned, with fighting fires, that's something that can be um, physically, I imagine, can improve your performance. But I imagine alertness and concentration, which is something we'll go into a little bit later on, something I know you're passionate about. But for those that did have a, um, like, maintain their hydration due to slower, slower sweat rate, or maybe they were hydrating better as well, did they feel... The difference from from changing practices and and also having some genetic benefits to their ability to to fight fires. Yeah, well, that was the thing. We all were drinking the same thing, and yeah. we're all very very diligent with our with our fluid intake. 
Uh, we were working in the same conditions over the same duration. So there was a lot of things that were very similar, mm. yet there was these individuals that for whatever reason, well, now we know why, but um, they were able to tolerate just naturally. It wasn't because they were better heat acclimated because the fact is you can't heat acclimate for those sort of conditions. It's impossible to. Mm. Um, they weren't any fitter. They weren't any stronger. They hadn't been in the job any longer. Um, there was no, there was nothing you could pinpoint it down to mm -hmm. except for mm -hmm. the fact that they had a unique physiology. Um, whether they could tolerate a greater uh, core temperature than others, they simply didn't need to sweat as much and they didn't need to lose as much sodium to maintain a safe core temperature, which was, um, it was fascinating to learn along the way. And is it as matter of, as the guys that do have a higher sweat rate, they therefore lose more sodium or, do, or is it not purely that it, you can also lose less sweat, but you just have a higher concentration of sodium? Spot on, mate. There's no pattern. Um, right. I'm, I'm just under 6'3", and I'm, you know, I hover around 90 kilo, so fairly big frame. But I actually have a quite a low sweat rate for my size, mm -hmm. but I have a very high sodium concentration in my sweat. And that was, that was my downfall because I needed to replace a lot more sodium than these other firefighters, and that was why I was struggling a bit more in the heat than they were. So it was on learning my sodium concentration that I started to address it better. And that's when I was able to tolerate uh, hotter conditions better, um, simply because I was addressing my needs better. Um, whereas the other firefighters who were tolerating the heat better, they simply um, weren't losing, the, the percentage of loss wasn't near as much as mine. Yeah. And does yeah. that mean that when you're um, comparing yourself to someone else that sweats the same, but their concentration of sodium is less than yourself, you can drink the same amount of water, but you just need to top up a little bit more sodium in your hydration. Yeah, spot on. I, I, I've got a, I might be drinking the same volume, but I need to increase the amount of sodium that's in my beverage mm -hmm. um, compared to, to someone that has a low sodium concentration in their sweat. And, and to answer your question before, you can be a heavy sweater with a high sodium concentration. You can be a heavy, sweat, a heavy sweater with a moderate or low sodium concentration. You can be low and low, low and moderate, low and high. There's no pattern. Um, it's, it's really just your unique physiological makeup when it comes to um, sweating. You can see why athletes would get excited about understanding this knowledge and, and implementing it with their hydration uh, practices. How did that come about? Did you, once you start to understand this, did you start to reach out to ultramarathon athletes or those that do have a high sweat rate or did they sort of start to seek you? Yeah, well, it, it, they started to seek me, which was great. Um, and in the early days, I was working with a lot of athletes who were suffering, uh, suffering cramping. Muscle cramping was, mm -hmm. were, were the athletes that I worked with the most. And um, as much as the experts will say they don't really know why athletes cramp, I can tell you without too much doubt that an athlete that has a higher sweat rate and or a higher sodium concentration in their sweat will be more likely to experience muscle cramping. Um, so that was something that um, I've, I've learned along the way and initially um, it was great having this data, but then working out what the stomach could tolerate, that was another mm -hmm. part that, you know, took some time as well. So, you know, this is over many years. It's not something that happened overnight. It's, uh, it was a, a, an ongoing concern. <laughs> and, and on that note, what, so 
while experimenting and treating yourself like a lab by the sounds of it what did you what were you playing around with uh what 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 type of supplements uh and what were some of the experiences you were finding yeah well the the, the most the, the thing that um made the most sense mm-hmm. was um you can't have a sports drink with everything in it you can't have hydration calories and electrolyte you you have to separate your hydration and calories because what that allowed me to do was then start to focus on hydration and then it also allowed me to alter the volume of fluid the athlete was consuming and which is super important because particularly nowadays where you can be one week in particularly with AFL you can be one week in Hobart in yep. 10 degrees and the following week you could be in Darwin or the Gold Coast or Brisbane or Perth in 30 degrees so having the understanding that um, you need to alter the volume of fluid that you consume based on the environmental conditions, um, it, was, it was a no-brainer that if you separated the two, you could start to customize the athlete's hydration. You could um, provide them a volume of fluid that they needed in those conditions, but importantly, increase the amount of sodium that they required um, which you can't do with a, a sugary sports drink because if you try to increase the amount of sodium, it's just it's too overpoweringly sweet. You can't. It's 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 not something that you're going to be able to. Um, well, it's not something that's going to be palatable. Makes sense. And the, so, talk us through about Coda Nutrition. How did you come to create uh, your company? Yeah, well, that was it was initially um, Carbo Shots very many many years ago, back in '95, which was an energy gel, which we still have that same formulation now. Um, which uh, there's probably some athletes who were using it back then are still using it now. So um, that was the initial um, start. We started importing that product from New Zealand. And then at the time, we did have an a all-in-one sports drink. And after collecting data, I realized that this is not a product that, that was addressing the athlete's needs properly. So Too many var- variables. Yeah, well, the fact, yeah. Well, the fact is, if you look at, your typical sports drinks and the ones that um, sponsor AFL as an example, Mm -hmm. it's a preset solution. So it's, it's the same volume of fluid for everyone. It's the same amount of calories and it's the same amount of electrolytes. So what they're saying is that everyone is exactly the same. You, you all lose the same amount of sweat. You all, you all require the same amount of fuel and you all need the same amount of electrolyte. And you drink that same volume, whether it's, 10 degrees in Hobart or whether it's 30 degrees in Darwin. And the fact is your hydration is, is, is unique to you. It's, there's no one on this planet like you when it comes to how much you sweat, the amount of sodium in your sweat and how that changes in different environmental conditions. So um, yeah, that, that's the, the biggest thing with, with me. And um, once we start working with athletes and they start understanding their own unique physiological makeup when it comes to to sweat and what they need, um, separating the hydration and calories makes such a massive difference once you start to address their needs properly. Yeah. And I can only imagine the developing athletes that are listening in that are wanting to uh, pick your brains. I'll ask a couple of questions for, for the athletes. Yeah, cool. Um, how do you find out about your, your sweat rate, your concentration of sodium loss? Um, what is the process for those that aren't aware? Yeah, so that um, it's the, the sweat rate is simply um, pre and post weighing. Uh, 
the yep. best and most accurate way to do it is is a nude weight. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to be drinking, and, and the best the best time to actually is to do it over an hour session. And for an AFL player, it would be to try and mimic competition day as close as possible. So you would have quite a strenuous session set up. You could even have that break at um, at half at sort of halfway through, just a short break, um, and then continue for that hour. Um, recording the temperature and humidity and also recording, recording the intensity or, or your exertion level because they're the two things that dictate how much you sweat is the environmental conditions and your level of intensity. So if you change either one of those, you're going to get a different result. So doing your pre and... Sorry? Tricky. <laughs> yeah. So doing your pre and post weighing, um, let's say, for example, you, you weigh in at 80 kilo at the start and you know, you're 78 and a half at the finish. So that, that kilo and a half drop, it kind of translates to a liter and a half of, of, of sweat. Um, so you know that, um, let's say, you're playing Sydney and it's 18 degrees and you lose around a liter and a half an hour at, at that environmental temperature in those conditions. So you get an understanding that, okay, you know, I want to I try and aim for um, drinking a good amount of, of fluid. I know I can't drink a liter and a half in that time because the simple fact that um, I might not get the opportunity to, but what I will do, I'll be very, very diligent with my hydration at half time to make sure I carry the least amount of deficiencies into that second half. Yep. And with sodium concentration, um, it's just a matter of, we, we put sweat patches on the athletes in a forearm and we, we normally get them to do an, an hour session. So that way we collect their sweat rate as well as their um, sodium concentration in their sweat. Um, and at the same time, what we do like to, to um, collect is the, their calorie expenditure. So we know how many units of energy they're expending at that intensity. So we collect all this data and we say, okay, well, at that intensity, you're expending 800 calories an hour. Um, your sweat rate was 1.5 liters and your sodium concentration is 1,200 milligrams per one liter of sweat. Now, that 1,200 milligrams is 1,200 milligrams tomorrow. It'll be 1,200 milligrams the next day, and it'll be 1,200 milligrams in two years' time. Um, that can't you, change with, with training or anything. No, yeah. I've done a lot of testing over the years, and the sodium concentration in your sweat is, is unique to you, and it's, it, 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 if it changes, it's, it's only a very small amount, nothing that you would make any drastic changes about when you're, when you're planning your hydration. What about the sweat rate? The sweat rate changes all the time. And uh, yeah. that's, that's constantly changing. So, for example, you know, when I mentioned Hobart playing down there at 10 degrees, you're simply not going to sweat that much um, as opposed to you know, Brisbane or Gold Coast the following week at 30 degrees, you're going to sweat oh, buckets. Sorry, I mean, um, with the, let's say, year by year, you're doing this protocol and you're working out your baseline and the yep. sodium concentration can't change. But as the athlete, improves their uh, physiology, their aerobic capacity, strength, running efficiency, all the things. Yep. Can, can, have you seen change in uh, sweat rate due to just the, the same environment, but just year by year they do a, that baseline test? Does it change yeah. in tra- adaptation? Not, to no, not baseline? really. Um, okay. what, what does change though, and, we, and I've, I've actually done a lot of research on this, particularly in um, Thailand and Singapore, Philippines, where it's very hot and humid, mm-hmm. um, is that when an athlete is 
um, heat acclimated or, or doing um, heat load training, that they'll, link, that they'll actually get an increase in blood volume, um, which, which is interesting in that some will increase blood vo- volume more than others. But um, having that increased blood volume, although the athlete sweats the same amount, they don't sweat any less, but because they've got more to start with, um, the impact on their uh, losses aren't, isn't as great in those hotter conditions once they're heat acclimated. They've got a higher ceiling, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And so that, and that's the thing, like, you know, I was reading a lot of articles about as you get fitter and as you get, you know, more advanced in, uh, in your training that, you know, your sweat rate will start to decrease. Um, yeah. It's, it, it's yeah, not, it's almost a myth they hear it all. Yeah. Yeah. It's not something that I've seen. And I, you know, I, I would read published articles and it also became an, it, it became an obsession for me to, to want to find out whether these articles I was reading were actually, you know, stuff that was going to benefit athletes. And sadly, a lot of them out there, they come to a conclusion that um, a lot of sports dietitians hang their head on. They say, oh, well, this is the conclusion. I'm like, well, you know, you, you, you can't come to a conclusion with sports nutrition because there's way too many variables. And when it comes to hydration, if you're reading a published article and it says, well, this is what happens and this is going to happen to everyone. The fact is there needs to be some caveats at the end of that saying that um, this, this uh, conclusion is based purely on the intensity, the environmental conditions, the humidity, um, the physiological makeup of that athlete, um, and a whole bunch of other variables. So if the temperature changes or the humidity changes, then we're going to get a different conclusion. Um, but that's, that's never written. And, uh, so I think that's where a lot of, um, a lot of the, um, uh, let's just say, um, difficulties in getting these messages across because you've got people reading these published articles and then they're not taking into account all these variables that you need to consider. And going back to the athletes. So if, if they want to not go with the generic model like you mentioned of just having the same sports drink that everyone else has but they, they've done this baseline test and then now they want to build their own uh, individualized hydration uh, like you mentioned the temperature so it is summer here in melbourne at the moment so practice matches are on and um, players you mentioned cramping the, the, they may have cramped last year's campaign with their practice matches and they're wanting you know these this time is so important because you want to make a squad or you want to make the senior team or whatever it might, or just play your best football to get in good form for round one. Um, what would be, what do you need to do? Is it, what, what sort of supplements do you need to do? What sort of pack do you need to make to make it specific to your sweat rate and sodium concentration? Yeah, well, it's, it's first understanding your numbers. That's, that's the key. Um, mm-hmm. And everyone has their own unique numbers. Um, it doesn't matter what your teammate's doing. It, it, it's, it's, uh, it's very individual. So, um, if, if I were, if I was, you know, on the outskirts and I was wanting to make a team, um, and there were some things that I needed to work on, uh, this is the sort of things I would work on because hydration makes a massive difference to how you're going to perform. Um, not just physically, but mentally as well. Um, how much, how well you can process information, uh, which is super, super important nowadays with the way AFL is played. It's a, it's a very, very different game nowadays. And the ball is moving way faster than it ever did before. And with the crowding, you can have 30 people, you know, 30 players around the ball where 
um, the ball's moving so much quicker than it used to. So when the ball's moving quicker, you're having to process information so much faster. That's something that if, the, if you're not addressing your sweat, which is a direct cor- uh, correlated to blood volume loss, if you're not addressing the sodium concentration in your blood, and if your sodium concentration in your blood drops, then any messages being sent from the brain down the central nervous system are impacted. So you're not going to react as well. And thirdly, if you're not um, properly fueled, if your brain's not getting that circulating blood glucose that it requires to function properly, if you're not fueling yourself properly, then you know all these things add up to um, unforced errors. And um, you know it could be the thing that's keeping you out of the out of the side is that you're just making a, a few too many mistakes. But it's definitely something that you can address and something you can improve on. Once they've once you've understood your numbers, if you're working with a team, um, what would that look like on? on uh, game day is it so you mentioned the temperature of the environment so let's say someone we're talking about before they lose um 1.5 kilos in the first half what should they do in the um at half time what what should they be intaking to increase their their fueling but also rehydration as well yeah so they it's really going to be dependent on how often the runners get out to them to to provide provide a drink and nowadays it's once you kick a goal before you could get out there at any time, um, but the rules have changed now. So, you know, if there's not too many goals kicked in the half, then you don't get too much of opportunity to drink, which I think they some, somewhat need to address, particularly if they're going to be playing Brisbane, Gold Coast, Darwin, Perth, where it can get quite hot. Um, yeah. Something the AFL need to look at because, you know, if you want players to be properly hydrated and be playing at their, at their optimum level, then they need to be drinking more often, particularly in those hotter environments. Um, so if you are losing, you know, let's say that one and a half liters up to a half time, the fact is you've only got sort of like, it's about a 20 minute window mm-hmm. and you're not going to consume that 1.5 liters. Your stomach's simply not going to tolerate that much. Um, so the key it would be to consume an amount that doesn't compromise your stomach. And in, if you can sort of aim for sort of 50 to 60% of that loss, then that would be, that would be something you want to aim for. If you, if you had a couple of hours break, no worries, you're going to get that 1.5 litres in. But the fact is um, the stomach is the limiting, limiting factor. And if you didn't get the opportunity to drink a lot during in that, in that first half because there's not a lot of goals kicked, then the first thing you need to do when you get into the change rooms is to make sure that you've got your drink there. It's got the water in there that you require, which you're losing most of. Water's the simple, you know, we're losing a lot of water in sweat. Um, so we replace that. If you have a higher sodium concentration in your sweat, um, you make sure that you've got a beverage that um, addresses your particular needs. And if you've done the test and you know your sodium concentration, then it's, yeah, it's a very easy thing to do. Um, once again, unfortunately, you're not going to replace all that you lose, but the whole point of um, a proper hydration strategy is to minimize percentage of loss. Mm -hmm. Do the best you can. Um, And minimizing your your percentage of loss, having an understanding of what your numbers are is going to set you up way better than just, you know, throwing down sports drink and really not understanding whether you're addressing your needs properly or not. And so the, 
roughly speaking, around if they've lost yeah, 1.5 litres, around 750 mils is tolerable for most athletes, 50%. Is that equation the same for your sweat rate for those that know, was it 1,200 milligrams of, of um, sodium, sodium? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, you, so you, you apply the same model, like around 600 in, that, in your water? Yeah, interestingly, um, and I don't know why, I, I can't figure out why we can't replace the amount of sodium we lose. Um, and it's something that I worked on very early when, once I start to understand that were different, different sodium concentrations in sweat with every, every individual. Um, and the, the idea was that we should be able to replace all that we lose. Um, but for, for some reason, um, our rate of loss exceeds how much we can consume. So that 50 to 60% rule again, if, uh, if you have a sodium concentration around 1,200 milligrams, you're going to be aiming for that sort of 700-odd milligrams of, uh, of sodium in that, in that beverage. And then um, so the t- stomach can tolerate that. And then what about with the refueling that you mentioned about like getting the calories in separate to your hydration protocol? Uh, what does that look like? Yeah, well, <laughs> fueling is something that um, I, I don't think that – the sports dietitians that are working with AFL teams at the moment are addressing the um, players' fuel requirements as well as they could. Um, the, as I mentioned before, the game now is so different. It's way faster than it used to be. The ball's traveling way faster than it ever has. And the amount of running that they're doing now, um, I, I, I just don't think that a player has the glycogen storage in their muscles to be able to um, tolerate or, or be able to have enough internal stores to run a full game out. I, I, my concern is that they're depleting their glycogen stores so much that it's leading to these small muscle tears and all that sort of stuff. Um, I think that they need to start fueling a lot better than they are at the moment, um, not just from a physical perspective, um, to, to help um, spare that stored glycogen, but also mentally with um, how much faster the ball's traveling now. Um, the amount of information they have to process now so quickly is it's requiring a staggering amount of energy for the brain to, uh, to actually function that fast. So I think um, addressing that would go a long way to seeing the players run the game out the full four quarters and not seeing data where in the second half um, their, their intensive efforts are reduced um, and they're not as intense as they are in the first half. Um, plus, also, if you can minimise the percentage of loss for um, glycogen for the player, it just means that they're going to recover much faster and get to training um, after the game day um, feeling a lot better than depleting their stores um, to a point where it takes so much longer to restore them. Um, yep. Yeah, makes sense. Hey all, hope you're enjoying this episode with Daryl Griffiths. We're just going to take a quick break to hear from Emily Meehan, who at the time was the head sports dietitian at the Collingwood Football Club. This is the episode 68 on the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Here's a short snippet. Hope you enjoy what would be your advice, 15 up until 18-year-olds, male and female, on that approach for you know, maybe a coach or, or someone or even themselves have identified that they're, they're um, a lot lighter than where they 
feel like they need to be. Um, what would what would, how would you sit down with that player and discuss um, getting gaining you know muscle for a footballer? So basically, first of all, to start off at what what are they currently doing? What are they eating? Um, how much are they getting in? Sort of getting an idea of what their training's looking like as well. So what's their expenditure? Finding trying to find the balance of what intake is versus expenditure. Um, yep. We're looking at calories. We're looking at protein distribution across the day, and then you know a good balance of healthy fats as well. So it's not just your calories; it's also your protein distribution. Um, making sure that you're getting the protein intake at the right time. So post training session, getting something in, not skipping meals. That's often that I find with so many young athletes. To hear more from Emily Meehan, make sure to scroll to episode 68 on the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Now back to Daryl Griffiths. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoy. Knowing what, with what you know, like you mentioned that, yeah, the runners can't go out as much, which I imagine would be a constraint for the sports dietitians, but what would be optimal? What, what, you know, what do you think needs to be done to improve fueling? Uh, what are some specific things that could be done better? Yeah, well, I think um, firstly, get rid of lollies. Um, I'm seeing AFL players eating lollies, um, mind boggling to me how that ever became a sports nutrition product. Um, it's, there's, there's no, there's absolutely no reason why you would give an elite athlete at that level, um, lollies to fuel them. Um, I, I know why they get lollies because Nestle sponsor the AIS and uh, Nestle own Allen's lollies. So um, the sports dietitians are getting their information from the AIS and they're saying, oh, lollies are fantastic. And that's how they've made their way into um, elite sports nutrition, which I just don't understand how, how that can happen. And it continues to happen. There's elite athletes eating lollies for energy. Um, it's, uh, uh, can you explain that one for me? No, no that's not... Not my area, <laughs> but I'll, I'll ask, I'll ask more, more questions though. What, what would you replace it with for, for those athletes that maybe do have some control, there's no sponsorship issues for them yeah. and they want, they want the optimal, uh, the optimum, what would, what would be the best fueling? Well, um, by far the best fuel are energy gels and the, 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 the characteristics of an energy gel, um, the fact is it's, it's a food but it's in liquid gel form. It's, it's pre-digested in its manufacture, which sounds pretty gross, but that's the science behind these energy gels. And particularly the ones that, that I've formulated is that it resembles chyme, which all foods converted to in the stomach. And chyme is like a semi-fluid form. And it needs to be, and all food needs to be converted into this form before it passes through the pyloric sphincter into the duodenum and then into the bloodstream as glucose, where the, the active muscles and brain can access that glucose for energy. So the, the important characteristics is firstly, um, energy to volume ratio. And that basically means that you're getting a large amount of calories, but in a small volume. And that takes pressure off the stomach. You're not load, having to load up the stomach. Now, if you can imagine if you're trying to con- fuel with you know, a large bottle, you, you, you're having to consume 600 mil of fluid for around about the same amount of calories, a few more calories, but not a lot more. Um, with an energy gel, you can consume 117 calories from a 33 mil serving, which is almost 20, 20 times less volume than your sports drink. Now, 
that's super important because, you know, we want to make sure the stomach's not compromised because if it does, it's going to slow us down and we don't want to slow down. The second really important characteristic is thermic effect. And this is where we go back to that form of chyme. So when you take an energy gel, it's entering the stomach in a form it already recognizes. So it's bypassed those processes that, that normal digestive, um, that food normally goes through. And it enters the stomach straight through into the bloodstream. It's, it's, it's super quick. And the most important part is it requires a very small amount of energy to be converted to fuel. So you're not drawing uh, blood away from the active muscles to the stomach to have to deal with it. That, that, that blood's staying in, in the legs or the, or the upper body or wherever you need that blood um, to perform the task that you're doing and not being drawn away to the stomach to have to deal with that food. So that thermic effect part's really important. So um, once you have a better understanding of energy gels and the science behind them, you'll be way more likely to use them. Um, and I, I think even um, they're not being used properly even at the top level, I would absolutely be using a gel every single quarter if I was an AFL footballer, um, not just for the physical side of it, but to make sure I have plenty of circulating blood glucose for my brain to access because I'm having to process way more information than I ever had before. And if I don't have that circulating blood glucose, then I'm going to be more likely to be making mistakes. That's something that they can do. Like you've got another runner, like you said, at the top level is uh, control, but at least you do have your quarter breaks, halftime break, three-quarter break, uh, and then game. And like you said, not only will it help you, your game performance, which is the most important day of the week, but also your ability to recover and start preparing for the next game uh, by being better fueled opposed to playing catch-up, which makes a lot of sense too. So, Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing. Like if, if it was just a game you know, every month, then you can get away with it. You, know, you can deplete your stores to the point where you've got that luxury of time to restore, but you, know, you finish a game on Sunday, you're back training the next day. You, know, you, you, you don't have that luxury of time, and then you're playing. You know, sometimes like COVID, um, there were some times where, where teams were turning around in four days Mm. Uh, that's just nuts. Um, you, you can see why there was uh, a, lot, a lot of small muscle tears and hammies and all that sort of stuff going last year because um, I, I, I can guarantee they weren't, being, well, they weren't hydrating properly and they weren't fueling properly um, because they didn't have the time that they had the luxury of just those extra couple of days that they have you know, in years, years before COVID, which hopefully they get the luxury this year. Hopefully it's not uh, interrupted. Yeah, back to six and seven days. Let's yeah, let's hope. Let's exactly. Hope. Yeah. Um, okay, and then let's spend some time on your, uh, you know, creation. We mentioned the firefighting was, at, you know, where you started in your career journey, and then you started to access this information. You were doing some research for yourself, and then started working with athletes that were seeking you. How did that then come to the point of um, creating a company, Code of Nutrition? Yeah. So at um... Like I said, it was originally shots and we changed our name probably a couple of years ago just before COVID. Um, yep. it, uh, it, was, it was never planned to be a business um, and I'm not a businessman. Um, I have a passion for wanting to find out how things work, um, very inquisitive. And if I don't get the answers, I get really annoyed and I have to find out myself. So uh, that's where the applied research started. Um, and then realizing that, and I don't say this lightly, but the sports nutrition industry is, it's a joke. Um, the fact that 
these all-in-one, one-size-fits-all sports drinks dominate the sports nutrition market is mind-boggling to me. Absolutely. It, it, it goes to show the sheer power of marketing. And if you've got enough money, you can convince a lot of people that this is what you need to be using. Um, it'd be like uh, me turning up to a, te- a, 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 um, a team of football players and saying, right, now I've just been researching this size, uh, this, uh, size 11 boot and it fits Billy perfectly. Um, he doesn't get blisters anymore. Um, no more shin splints. Calves aren't sore. His lower back's not sore anymore. His two-kilometer run, he's just knocked five seconds off it. And his 20-meter run is it's brilliant. He's performing so well, and it's because we've customized his um, size 11 boot for him. So what we're going to do, we're going to put every single player in that size 11 boot. <laughs> what, what do you think is going to happen? The players are going to go, well, hang on a minute. My foot's bigger than his. Hey, well, my foot's shorter than his. Mine's wider. Mine's narrower. My instep's bigger. My arch is smaller. I have an entirely different foot stroke when I uh, a foot strike when I run, and they're going to they're going to throw their arms up and say, "No way, I'm not wearing a size 11 boot. It might suit Billy. That's fantastic, but I want a boot that suits me." Mm. So what we're going to do now is we're going to give you a drink, and it's the exact same for everyone. It's the same volume, same calories, same electrolyte. Oh, okay, cool. No worries. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah. It's oh, it just frustrates the heck out of me. I I'm all about 100. percent If you're an elite athlete, and that doesn't mean someone who's professional and getting paid, there are a lot of athletes out there who are elite who do it purely because it's something they love doing, and they spend a lot of time and a lot of money on it. Um, and that's where um, they read a lot of this stuff that they're being told, and as soon as they start to understand their uniqueness and how to address that, the performance benefits are phenomenal. Um, and I have no doubt that even the top level AFL, there's still a lot of improvement to be had. Um, and I know the sports dietitians have a lot of trouble because everyone wants a piece of them. There's you, you, you don't want them in the gym, you want them doing all that stuff. And then there's the defense coach, there's the forward coach, there's the, there's the, um, on-ball coach, there's all these, you know, everyone wants a piece and you just don't get enough time with them. I think that's, that's the biggest problem um, is trying to work everyone together so there's a common goal in that if we do actually work together and not individually, um, I think these sort of things will, uh, will improve. And you made a couple of good points in there. Let's go first with one area that um, yeah, I imagine is going to be tough to change, but you're in the industry. But do you think that sports nutrition eventually will get to a point where sponsorship won't completely sort of dominate the market, but it'll be, it will start to be more individually led or athletes will potentially have a little bit more say in well, what they can have, I guess? Yeah. Well, I think the, the, the athlete needs to speak up a bit more. They need mm-hmm. to, you know, if, if, if a sports dietitian's handing you lollies, you've got to question that. You've got to go, well, you know, I, I have a small child and I tell them not to eat lollies because they're bad for them. But I'm an elite athlete and you give me lollies to, for fuel. Um, so ask the questions. Um, and the sports dietitian, well, I, I don't know what answer you're going to come up with for giving an elite athlete lollies. Um, there's really no answer. It's, it's simply going to come back to the fact that Nestle sponsored the AIS, Nestle own Allen's lollies, 
And AI says, oh, well, they're giving us lots of money, so we better tell them to, to use the lollies. And that's how it works. Yeah. And that's why, that's why the, the uh, big sports drink companies dominate the market because they have huge amounts of dollars. And, I, I, and they'll always, they always will dominate because it's important that they are putting that money into the sport. But the elite athletes, particularly the ones that, you know, and I think it's important that um, they take some responsibility, even though they're in a team sport, for their own individual needs in that, mm. you know, find out what your sweat rate is. Or ask questions. So, look, you know, we're doing this session. Can I do a pre and post weighing? You know, I'm really, really interested in finding out the sodium concentration of my sweat. Can we do some testing? And once we've done that, tell me the importance of what happens when I sweat. You know, um, how's that um, contributing to the way I play? How is it impacting on my performance? So I think the biggest, one of the biggest things is that we need to sit these players down and actually educate them properly and say, okay, well, this is what happens when you sweat. When you sweat, that water that ends up on your skin comes from the water component of your blood. Your blood's about 80% water. So as you sweat and not replace it, you're actually reducing blood volume. You've got less blood available. So what do you think when there's less blood available? What happens? Well, you too, well, many things happen, but importantly, if you've got less blood available, then you've got less oxygen, you've got less glucose, um, the blood's thickening because as that water component reduces, your blood thickens. And then your heart's got to pump a lot harder to move that blood around. And it's not going to move as efficiently as it, de- as it does when you're properly hydrated. Oh, okay. So, and then the penny drops when they go, okay, well, that's really important that I hydrate. And then, and then that sports dietitian will say, yes, but if we're playing down in Hobart, you're just not going to sweat as much. So we don't need to drink as much as we will need to in, Ho- in uh, Darwin or, or Gold Coast. Or, so that's a really easy conversation to have with the player. And they have an understanding of, oh, okay, well, that's really important. I'm going to make sure that I find out how much I sweat in these hotter conditions because I really want to manage it properly. And because I, if I do manage it properly... It means I'm going to have a much better week than I normally do because I come off a hot game and I have a crap game the next week. So if I dress my needs properly, then I'm less likely to have a shit game the following week. Oh, can I say shit? The, yeah, of course. Yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> so, um, on that note, so 18 degrees, you work out, you lose 1.5 litres in that hour test. Um, and, and we try and mimic that with a, with a game, like you mentioned, in terms of exertion. What, do, does that mean you, you probably should do, if you want to be really thorough you should do one at you know 25 degrees and another one around like above 30 or is there yep so you do a few spot tests. on and and there's no pattern either mate so let's say at 10 degrees you lost a liter an hour as an example hypothetically yeah it doesn't mean at 20 degrees you're gonna lose two liters yeah there's um, no there's no special it, algorithm you can just no it'd be, <laughs> oh it'd make it would make all my um applied research way easier but you know, I've had some athletes where we would test them sort of around the 18, 20 degrees, which was a fairly consistent temperature for Ironman during the bike leg, mm-hmm. particularly in Australia. Excuse me. But you bump that temperature up to 23, 25 degrees, only a five degree swing or five to seven degree swing, and their sweat rate increased massively, where other athletes, that five to seven degree swing didn't change too much. So, Man, there's so many variables. It's just, I think... I imagine humidity as well, like you've got to factor that in. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And that's, 
uh, when I was living in Melbourne for nine years, I was um, two minute walk from Etihad. So uh, my wife and I, daughter, would sometimes see three games on a weekend. And it was fascinating watching a game with eight to 10,000 people and then a game with 50,000 people, how the humidity would rise. And I'd be sitting there, I'd be wondering whether um, they were taking that into account, how different the conditions were with 50,000 people sitting in the, in the stands as opposed to um, the different humidity when there was less people there. Um, and a swing of 15% humidity can make a massive difference in, in your sweat rate. Yeah, interesting. So yeah, it's having this, doing the test so you've got more awareness on how to uh, adjust things on game day. Yeah, exactly. And there's, there's plenty of time to do it. It's, uh, you know, you're at training all the time. So, you know, it's 10 minutes either side of, of, uh, of that training session that, to do pre and post weighing um, yeah. and record it, record the temperature and humidity, have a look at the device that you, your GPS device that you, you have in the back of your jumper, look at the trend, you know, see if it mimics close to, you know, game day because there's so much data. That's, if I was a footballer, I'd be looking at, and I'm sure some do, I'd be looking at that data after every game and really? seeing areas of where, you know, I could do better there. Geez, I, I dropped off in that fourth quarter. What, what can I do in quarter one, two, and three to ensure I don't drop off so much in quarter four? Um, is it my hydration? Is it that I'm not fueling as well as I could? Um, I think the players need to sort of maybe take some responsibility for that as well because if you're a sports dietitian and you're trying to look after that many players, it, it, it'd be a difficult task. Sure. Yeah, it's good. a good message as well. Definitely drive your, you know, it's your uh, career, isn't it? So if it comes from the athlete, you're going to you know, get a lot more benefit out of the experts around you in that environment. You mentioned the GPS. I think that would be a good thing to touch on. So you're looking at your game day report and it may have a quarter breakdown and, and work rate in the different speed zones. So slow running and high speed running and sprint distance. And um, would you be, if you're, if you're an athlete and you're looking at it, and you're like, okay, if my work rate, there was a bit of a detriment in or deficit in, in the work rate, um, how can they work out with the athletes that you've worked out that it wasn't a fitness thing and it was, or it wasn't a recovery thing in terms of rotations and it was, they can be definitive and know that it was definitely hydration. Is it because of their post weigh-in they saw it was, you know, is there a percentage on it really shouldn't be this much or you know, what sort of the standards with your, with your loss of, of fluid do you think for a typical AFL game? Yeah, good. that's a good question. Um, is it, and once again, another variable because you and I could be – um, losing the same amount of sweat. So, you know, we both lose, let's say we're playing in a hot game and, you know, and Darwin, it's, it wouldn't be unusual for some players to lose three or four litres comfortably in those sort of conditions. Right. Um, you and I both lose three litres, but for whatever reason, you can tolerate that loss better than I can. You can still maintain um, a high output better than I can. And it's not for any other reason than it's just how you tolerate that loss or that deficiency. So, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to, to answer that question because there's not, it, it really comes down to, you know, if you're seeing that there is a, a deficit or a, um, a de- decrease in output, um, a lot of the time it, it could be put down to the fact that, geez, it was a lot warmer than I thought it was going to be and I didn't hydrate as well as I should have. Um, and so you address that for next time, or it could well be, um, it was a lot colder than I thought it was going to be than the, than the uh, weather 
I had predicted and the amount I consumed was more than I should have. And you, you can, you can definitely drink more um, than you need in cooler conditions. So at, at some point you're going to arrive and it might not always be straight away, but at some point you're going to arrive at the answer if you keep looking at it. Um, but I, I would, I have no hesitation in that um, AFL players aren't fueling anywhere near where they should be. I don't think the fueling strategy has caught up with the game now. The game is so much different than it used to be. Yeah, so more so the fueling than the rehydration. The rehydration thinks in a good spot, but more the replenishing oh, glucose. Yeah, I, I, no, I don't think the hydration's in a good spot at all. I think um, there's still a lot of work to be done there. Um, and that starts with educating the players. And I, and I know, and talking to sports dietitians, I know they don't get the opportunity to sit down with them and actually explain to them the importance of all this. So that needs to change. That, that needs to be a priority. That needs to be something that is built in. Um, because I know that um, you know, when it comes to um, the level of importance, the nutrition side of things is it's way down the bottom. Um, so that, that's something that they, they need to maybe have a look at and address. What about leading up to game day for footballers? What, what would you recommend um, some good practices for, for young athletes uh, in terms of making sure they're well-fueled and, and well-hydrated going into the game? Yeah, spot on. Um, well, generally, you've got to get there a couple of hours before the game. Um, so when an athlete asks me, what shall I eat before competition? I generally, my answer is you eat what you normally eat. You don't change anything. You, you eat the things that you're comfortable with, you know that sits well in your stomach. Um, some athletes have a massive problem with eating prior to a game. It's just nerves take over. Um, that's where I think if they can try and maybe eat some fruit or make sure they maybe take a gel or something, like they, they've, got to, they've got to be starting the game without any deficiencies. So it's really going to depend on the type of um, uh, or, the, or the temperatures and humidities that they're going to experience. Um, you, can't, you can't load up, so you can't go and drink thinking that if I drink a lot now, then it's going to save me for later on. You just, it, a lot of the time, a big problem with athletes, particularly when they're going into an event or sorry, into a, um, a game where it is going to be hot, they drink lots and lots of plain water. Um, and it's a common mistake in that they think they're doing the right thing. Um, it is good to hydrate, but if you're drinking copious amounts of plain water, you're going to dilute the sodium concentration in your blood. Um, so you're going to start with deficiencies in that case. So when you are hydrating, you hydrate with water and make sure the sodium component is in that drink as well. Not, don't, not replace one, you've got to replace both. Um, so that's the important thing. And it's hard to give a volume, but just to make sure that you are drinking prior to the game, especially in that two hours that you are um, warming up, getting ready to play the game, um, and making sure that you fuel. Because in that two-hour warm-up, some players will use more energy than in that two hours than some people use in a week. So... Um, making sure that you are fueling in that two hours as well, that you start the game without any deficiencies. Yeah. 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 It's a good point that we don't take into think about the game, but also you are, you know, like 
most warm-ups will have two different periods of warm-ups and definitely ramp up towards the game. So, um, yeah, making sure that you're well hydrated and, and fueling throughout the warm-up as it should be part of your, your game day preparation. Absolutely. Love that. Thank, thank, thanks for sharing, Daryl. We'll, we'll move into the lighter side of the podcast now, mate. This is a bit yeah. of a get-to-know-you segment. Okay, uh, first one is <laughs> which, which uh, movie or TV series, or it could be a book, has uh, impacted you the most and why? Uh, Power of One. Power of One. Have you read that? Don't think so. Oh, okay. It has a familiar title to it, but is it a, yeah. uh, so it's a book? Yeah, it's a book. Um, yep. Read that a long, long time ago. But yeah, pick that one up if you get a chance. Yep, will yeah. do. Uh, favorite inspirational quote or life motto? Uh, you are unique. And we are. We all are very, we're very, very special in our own way. There's no one like you on the planet. Um, yeah. That's, that's mine. It's, we are unique. Yeah. yeah. And um, in your work life, what, what makes you angry? What are your pet peeves? <laughs> I think you can work that one out. Um, the, the, the fact that sports drinks dominate the sports nutrition market, it absolutely, it, I don't have any hair left. I've torn, I've torn it all out. It's, <laughs> it is mind boggling to me that, uh, they dominate sports nutrition with their one size fits all strategy. Mm. <laughs> I, I try not to let it bother me, but, um, it's hard not to, when you've done all the work I've done over the years, it's 25 years of work and, um, you know, I just want athletes to perform well and you're not going to perform at your, you're not going to realize your true potential using a one size fits all sports drink. And what about favorite way that both these last two are your, a COVID free world, of course, what's your favorite way to spend your day off? Uh, at the moment it's, it'd be mountain biking. Um, love my mountain biking. And our favorite holiday destination and why? Uh, can I have two? Yep, absolutely. Okay, uh, Maldives, surfing, and Japan, snowboarding. Oh, awesome. Yeah, good, yeah. good too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm very much looking forward to getting back to Japan once things go back to normal. Well, thank you so much for, for jumping on, Daryl. Talk us through what's on the horizon for 2022. What are you excited about at the moment? Um, I'm very excited about having electrolyte tablets back. We had a fire in our factory uh, just after COVID. So we've had a nasty 16 months. Um, yeah. we, have, we have them back now. So I'm very, very excited because it's, it's an awesome product. Um, it's, my, it's my baby. It's, uh, I um, formulated them right from scratch. So very, very passionate. How, how are they different to the, like you mentioned, the, the, the general, generic products that are out there? Oh, okay. So it's, it's an effervescent tablet. So there's no calories at all. Um, so the idea is that if you have a higher sodium concentration in your sweat, you can add extra tablets to meet those needs. Um, right. It's as simple as that. Um, you're able to customize your hydration where, um, and get a lot closer to your losses than you normally would. And easy on the stomach. Yeah, importantly. And that's something I focused on um, when formulating these products. Any, any sports nutrition product needs to be gentle on the stomach. And I spent a lot of time formulating products to be that um, gentle on the stomach. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I, I certainly got a lot out of uh, our chat, mate, and no doubt the athletes as well as practitioners that have tuned in live. Uh, for those that tuned in later on and uh, you missed the first part, definitely uh, watch the uh, whole recording. Daryl 
drop gems from the first minute. So you can watch <laughs> that on the on the YouTube channel. And then for the podcasters out there, we'll release this in the next couple of weeks. So I'll upload you on our socials when the when uh, the episode is released in our podcast. But thanks again, Daryl. Where where can people find you if they want to ask any questions or queries? Uh, and of <laughs> course, talk us through code and nutrition as well for for athletes that want to. Um, try some of your products. Yeah, oh, I think the first thing is to um, is to get on and uh, listen to the audio book, uh, "Sweat, Think, Go Faster." That uh, that will explain a lot about the applied research that I've done over the past twenty five years, and it goes into developing sports nutrition. So it gives you a real insight into the things you need to think about, uh, which most people don't. Um, they just use the product without really thinking too much. So the science behind actually developing products um, and yeah, all the research that I did that I've done um, to uh, help customize um, athletes perform uh, their nutrition and their performance. Um, yeah. That's uh, and then code nutrition.com yep. uh, is where you'll find the products. Um, the Australian company. And uh, yeah, we're, we're passionate. I, I, <laughs> I have no doubt there's no one that spent as much time developing sports nutrition products than I have. Um, I have absolutely no doubt about that. Um, so if you are using our products, you know that there's been a huge amount of effort going into it. So that's what athletes deserve. So we'll, we'll add the links both to the audio book. Is that on your website? Uh, it is, yes. The, yep, we'll add yeah. the link on our, in yeah. the show notes as well as the uh, link to um, – your what about your socials? Where where is the best place? For uh, code and nutrition. Yeah, just yep, uh, hashtag yep. code and nutrition. Yep. Yeah, I had in the show notes, but yeah, thanks. Awesome. And thanks for everyone that's uh, listens as well. If you're a fan of the podcast, make sure to click the notification button on Spotify to not miss any episodes. I'll see you guys on the next live chat. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian from Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, so I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game changes whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with Academy member Rama Davies, the friendly conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll hand it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. 
Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful. Plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my my question to you was: you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose... One thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's if you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble um yeah. so that's that's been huge um i think i wish back then when i was younger i asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things mm. i think i was a bit single-minded back then and um you know i thought there was one way of doing things and um if i kind of didn't have that fear of you know asking a silly question or fear of judgment it would have got me a lot further and i probably would have learned a lot quicker um and yeah. and yeah like just yeah being open to sort of different things um because you never know what you might find it's just yeah there's so many people like great people out there knowledgeable people to learn off and there's plenty more where that came from if you would like to learn more then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.